Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. It's summer holiday time for many people, for, so for those of you who are tuning in from the beach, I am both jealous and impressed with your dedication in equal measure. I'm Duncan Lamont, Head of Research and Analytics, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Global Equity Portfolio Manager, Frank Thorman. Before I start chatting to Frank, the main theme to highlight is that there's been a decisive shift in central bank stance recently. Easing rather than tightening is on the cards almost everywhere. The US Fed is meeting this week is widely expected to cut rates by at least a quarter of a percent, with some thinking they may go bigger with a half percent cut. Where the Bank of Japan today is signalling readiness to expand stimulus without hesitation if downside risks to inflation rise, and the ECB last week given a strong hint that they intend to ease policy further in their September meeting. However, Azad, in an economics note last week, also argued that the team doesn't necessarily think this will have much of a positive impact on the real economy in Europe, and nor will it necessarily be successful in stopping the euro from appreciating, given that the Fed is also on an easing track. Got the Bank of England caught in the middle a bit. Um, Chief Economist Andy Haldane recently described the UK as having real interest rates as low as the Eurozone, even though its labour market looks as strong as the US. Probably on hold until Brexit developments clear up. So the net result of all of this is the message to markets has been central banks still have your back. Equities and US equities in particular grinding higher. US markets up over 3% this month, 22% this year at an all, a year-to-date high. More tech-heavy Nasdaq's up a few percent more. European equities also doing well. UK and Japanese not quite as well, and emerging markets actually falling back recently. The flip side of the equity story is lower bond yields, year-to-date, US, UK, German 10 years, all down by 60 to 70 basis points, although the US 10 years have actually risen slightly recently as the markets shifted towards uh, expectations of a 25 BIP cup rather than 50. It's great to have Frank here today. Um, I guess with equity markets at all-time highs, superficially that paints a pretty positive picture, but I want to dig a bit deeper and find how things look on a more fundamental basis going to look at things around the current earnings season and how things look for the future. Antitrust investigations into big tech, value versus growth, and we're going to hear about some of the stocks that Frank's been buying and selling and the reasons why. So, Frank, starting off with the current earnings season, can you just update everyone on how that's been progressing? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'd be happy to. Uh, so the the snapshot is still quite early. Only about 40% of companies okay. have reported earnings. But uh, so far, the summary would be that it's reasonably constructive. Um, of the companies reported, uh, about, um, about two-thirds are managing to beat revenue and earnings per share expectations, which is in line to slightly better than to what we've seen in, in recent quarters. Um, to give you perhaps a bit of um, a background and put some numbers around that, um, and I'll use the United States um, because the numbers there are are the um, uh, are the most representative. Um, we are coming off of a spectacular earnings year in 2018. If you remember, earnings per share were up over 20 percent, and against those very difficult comparisons. Um, 2019 has seen a very sharp slowdown in earnings growth. The first quarter uh, only showed um, flat year-over-year earnings per share, and so far the second quarter is also looking like it'll be flat to slightly up. Um, So the big question for us is um, what does the second half hold, and is there a potential for earnings um, decline or earnings reacceleration into the future? 
And I guess, yeah, I suppose within those nut companies that have been beating their um, estimates, I mean, we were chatting beforehand, and analysts, that uh, companies are very good at managing those expectations, aren't they? Because pretty much every year, if you look a few years out into the future, the three-year earnings forecasts are always 8 to 12%, something around that. And as we get nearer, they generally just get downgraded to something that's more moderate. So even though we've only had flat earnings, that has actually been, um, I guess they've managed that guidance down to an extent. And the market doesn't really seem that bothered by the fact that we haven't really had any earnings growth at all this year, has is it? Uh, you're, you're, cert- you're certainly correct. Um, the, um, you, you're right. So typically, what happens is that you start the year with an expectation of earnings per share growth close to 10%. That's been the case for, for, for many, many years running. Yeah. And then and then typically what happens is those expectations tend to be revised down somewhat. Um, uh, the question then is, is the, the pace of negative revision greater or lower than what it typically is? And does the market have confidence that that um, neg- pace of negative earnings revision is, is, is temporary or is, um, is, is longer term in nature? And I think those are um, the questions the, the market is grappling with um, at, at the moment. And the fact that the stock market's been as strong as it has been is suggesting the market taking the view that the just flat year-over-year earnings is temporary. And then as we look into the second half in 2020, there is an expectation for a earnings reacceleration. I guess that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? I think in one of his calls before, Alex Tedder has said that they were more concerned about the um, over-optimism in some of the forecasts for the, the later part of, of this year. Is, is that still the case? Uh, very very much so. I, um, I personally uh, see slightly more signs of things um, slowing a bit on the margin. So we're certainly not calling for a recession or a, um, a collapse in, in corporate earnings power, but uh, we're coming off of a historically high base and it's becoming, it's becoming increasingly evident that it's very, very difficult to keep current um, profitability w- where it is. So I think even the flat earnings that we're currently seeing is a, is a very strong accomplishment and they are um, increasing parts of, uh, of, of the economy that are seeing, um, starting to see some earnings declines. So as a result of that, we are um, increasingly concerned that perhaps the market has run a bit ahead of itself and as a result are shifting some of our, um, our higher convictions more towards the defensive side. Okay, so you said that there's certain parts that look like they are more at risk of actually declining earnings. Can you expand a bit more on that and, and how that's been um, reflected in the way that you're managing some of the portfolios? Uh, of, of course. So in, in a nutshell, um, we're seeing an increased bifurcation in the economy. So everything uh, related to physical goods, manufacturing, um, particularly related to higher ticket, um, capital expenditure, um, trade related and export related, those are sectors um, where we're seeing increased weakness um, and uh, and f- fairly severe um, year-over-year earnings declines. On the flip side, uh, some of the more service-oriented um, uh, sectors uh, continue to um, to benefit from a very very healthy consumer backdrop, so for, supported by uh, increasingly strong. 
uh, labor markets and, uh, and 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 wage developments. So those companies uh, continue to do um, to continue to do very well. And and what types of companies, if you think about, if, have there actually been companies you've been selling in portfolios as a result of the the concerns over, say, the manufacturing investments heavy side con- the concerns there? Yeah. Yes. So there there have been. Um, if, if uh, a couple, a couple of companies uh, I'll mention. One is um, is U.S.-based um, Caterpillar. Um, a second one is uh, Japan-based um, Kians. Uh, both of those are industrial companies uh, that um, that sell product, um, which tends to have somewhat of a of a discretionary uh, characteristic to it. So its its customers um, oftentimes have. Um, have the discretion of, of pushing out the purchase quite easily for a, a, a few quarters if they feel unsure about the the macro backdrop, and that's something we're seeing we're seeing currently. So the results of both of those companies have seen a fairly sharp um, slowdown. So I guess the idea that if you're going to buy a new caterpillar digger or truck or some whatever you could do it now or you could also just keep running your existing one for a bit longer pay some more maintenance or you could wait and see because the upfront cost of it is sufficiently high that you, you can just defer that precisely precisely there, there's a very strong correlation of these um, expensive capital expenditure projects to ceo optimism and okay. when when CEOs or company managements in general feel positive about the longer term um, economic outlook, um, they loosen the, the purse strings and uh, buy expensive equipment like um, Caterpillar trucks, and uh, and currently that is going in reverse. So it is is certainly hurting those companies. Okay, so I guess we've got the those kind of companies that have been struggling, and if we look at the other side, defensive stocks, I suppose. In an ideal world, it would be lovely to see you could rotate out of some of the ones that had done well and into more defensive stocks. But in the current environment, is there also a risk that a lot of defensive stocks are also very popular? And actually, some of the prices for those um, take away some of the defensive attributes or are actually able to find the right kinds of companies at the right kinds of prices still? Well, that, of course, is um, is our challenge and most important task as, uh, as stock pickers. But you are correct that, um, that not only is there a bifurcation in fundamental trends, there's also a bifurcation in levels of valuations. And I think we'll get yeah. to value versus growth in, in, in a minute, that companies with a, uh, a positive um, fundamental outlook tend to be increasingly expensively valued. So for us, it becomes even more important to feel very good about these companies' ability to continue to surprise positively in terms of uh, earnings and, and and cash flow results, and uh, if not, um, uh, there are there are the market tends to be fairly unforgiving in uh, in punishing the stock prices for expensive companies with high expectations that disappoint. And just so one example, last I mean last week um, Netflix for example yeah. um, reported earnings. It's a very expensive stock that had been growing very very rapidly reporting um, quite disappointing uh, new subscriber additions and uh, and the market uh, marked the stock down uh, somewhat uh, some 10%. Yeah, so I guess the idea there if you're you're Price to perfection in a way, even a small miss can actually lead to a fairly large change in the price. Exactly. Um, so, what types of companies on that more defensive side have actually been appealing to you then? 
so um, one company we've been adding to um, fairly substantially is uh, is Roche, Swiss pharmaceutical company. Um, that is uh, it's it's ticking um, a lot of the boxes that that we look for. Most importantly, we feel that the consensus is um, fairly materially too conservative. Um, the company has a few products, important products, rolling off patents, and the consensus is uh, very, very much concerned that there's going to be a material decline um, short-term in, in, those, in those revenue streams where we feel actually that they are a lot more... Um, they have much more longevity than the market thinks. And in addition, the company has some very promising new pipeline initiatives, which also we feel that the market isn't... isn't um, adequately reflect. And um, coming back to the valuation argument, stock trades at a, at a discount to its peer group. So we feel that it has above average positive surprise potential, above average growth potential, and a below average valuation. And That's that great. In, you can find stocks in this market that actually can meet so many of those, yeah. those criteria. Um, I, I suppose if I was going to play devil's advocate a little bit here, um, in a world where central banks are now saying they're going to step in and put more liquidity into the system and be easier, do fundamentals matter? Well, that is a, that is a great question. And um, so far this year, um, in many instances, uh, they have not. Mm. If you look at um, factor returns um, year to date, uh, one of the best performing um factors has been has been year-over-year revenue growth so by buying a basket of stocks with just the fastest revenue growth you would have um, dramatically outperformed this year so in a sense what the market is saying is we value revenue growth at any price okay um uh, that's obviously um i i feel um something that eventually will reverse and at some point, um, earnings growth and cash flow growth will, will matter again. Um, but in an environment where there's hope for increased central bank liquidity, um, that hasn't been the case this year. I guess we can um, probably use that to kind of turn into thinking about value and growth investing as well, because I guess value's still been underperforming growth, depending on which index you use. The gap's about 8 to 10% year-to-date in the US, Europe. MSCI value index underperformed growth by almost 14% this year. This was after a period where everyone thought value had had a decade of bad returns and it's been a really harsh kind of first half of the year. Um, how do you feel about that trend in terms of positioning and how it might um, change perhaps looking forwards? Yeah, you've, you've summarized it uh, perfectly. Um, I'm, I'm a friend of... Um, Reminding myself of very long-term trends, and there's mm -hmm. a few things as well established as the as the value premium, on average over the very very long term, and this is going back over a hundred years or so. Yeah. Value has outperformed growth by give or take two percent per year, and uh, the, obviously the past ten years, uh, the opposite's been the case. So this is the longest stretch since. Uh, since since these statistics begin of of growth outperforming value, and every year there's a valid question of does it does it come to an end? And uh, if you look at the valuation dispersion, so looking at the growthiest companies versus the cheapest, the valuation difference between those is is now at an at an all time high. Um, granted, it had been at an all time high a year ago, yeah. but that but that delta continues to stretch. Um, so I am increasingly uncomfortable to continue 
too strongly bet uh, in favor in favor of growth. So about a year ago, you would have seen still seen a fairly um, significant uh, growth bias in our strategies, and that we've deliberately been reducing. And currently, um, that um, factor tilt is much closer to neutral. Okay, so kind of a fairly sizable shift then in the way that portfolio has been positioned over the last year. Um, and just um, one final thing to touch on that we mentioned at the start was just, and I guess it relates to the value growth side, is just in terms of big tech companies and antitrust. Um, we've had the Department of Justice opening a review into big tech's power. The EU also looking to be more aggressive in that space. How, how worried should we be about this? Yeah, that is the million-dollar question. Uh, at uh, the moment, uh, unfortunately, there is little that we know. I mean, all we know really is that there is a potential investigation underway. It hasn't really been made public, nor do we know what the specific allegations will be. And in this instance, it's it's particularly tricky. Um, for uh, the regulators because a lot of times uh, the products offered to the consumer are free. So yeah, it's more difficult. It's hard to prove to consumer detriment if you're not paying for something. Exactly, exactly. Um, that's not to say uh, they, they will not try. Uh, I think one thing that's fair to say is that on aggregate, uh, industry concentration, particularly in the U.S., has increased yeah. um, over time, over, the, over, over decades, uh, leading to higher corporate profitability and certainly profitability within the technology sector and and in particular those very large cap um, tech companies is um, sky high so using that profitability measure there is a reasonable case to be made at least to take a look at some anti-competitive practices Uh, the market so far has shrugged this off um, almost entirely using the analogy uh, of Microsoft going back uh, 10 some years where the company successfully was able to keep this in the courts for for many, many years running. And by the time then there was a settlement, a resolution, um, it's probably characterize it more as a as a speeding ticket than a material change in the way these companies were able to conduct their business. Fine. So it's, it, there is a valid reason why they're looking at them. However, the time period to actually resolve anything could be very long. And by the time a, re- that is, a decision has arrived at, the businesses could have reorientated themselves in a way that it doesn't matter as much. Yes. History w- would suggest that often has been the case. But there's also, I think, a risk to be co- too complacent. So it's, I think it's a very important risk to take into consideration. Okay. Okay, thank you very much for joining us today, Frank. So just summarise um, three main points. Um, earnings expectations have been downgraded, but they're possibly still look on the optimistic side. Um, that means we have been turning more defensive, so toning down some of the growth bias in portfolios, move, finding more defensive companies. But actually there are, despite the market environment, there are still some attractive companies out there which meet a number of the key criteria we're looking for. Um, so with that I'd like to thank everybody for listening and thank Frank for joining me today it's my pleasure thank you good afternoon